Hi, I'm Tom May, and this week I'm delighted to bring you a special episode of the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. While it might not have been quite the fairy tale finish for England and Japan, it's been a great seven weeks of rugby. So this week, we're applauding England's achievements by shining a light on some of the squad's standout stars. My speed is, is my thing, especially at international level. You need to have something that you're, is your identity and something that you can fall back on and that is the reason why you're there. We've delved through the last four series of the podcast to bring you snippets from our chats with some of England's main men. I just love it, mate. That's it. Yeah. I just love, I love being around the sport. And I, I just want to give other people the opportunity to find out what they love. We'll hear their favourite rugby memories. That was probably the, old, the only time I ever came close to crying was singing the anthem and thinking about his, his dream. As well as what they get up to off the field. Just because you're one egg don't mean you buy one gift. It does. But it, it does. No way! <laughs> no one's complaining, so we'll keep it that way. That's brilliant! This is the series finale of the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. To appreciate how far you've come, it's often important to look back. So Will Greenwood gets us underway chatting to England flanker Sam Underhill about some of his earliest memories. So I was born in Ohio. My dad was in the forces. So I moved over yeah. back home to England and uh, we're in Peterborough for all the time I was in primary school. They didn't really play rugby. There was one kid at school, I think he played rugby, right. and I thought he was a bit of a nutter. And then You played football, um, just a normal... I played football. I was a very poor right-back, quite a physical right-back, which wasn't really an <laughs> yeah. attribute, which is necessary. Not going to go necessary. flying down the left wing yeah, if you're right My throw-in was good. And then some mum and dad, both from Gloucestershire, met in the RAF. Both sets of grandparents and family stuff still still based in Gloucestershire. So we moved back there, went to Thomas Richards in Gloucester, and then that's when I started playing rugby. Everyone remembers their first teacher or the teacher that they would follow anyway in terms of, let's go play on an ice pitch today who was the teacher that inspired you Reese Williams was the main guy big Welsh yeah. Welsh guy who played for Eberville the steel men when we were kids and stuff he was just like enormous like man mountain yeah um, still pretty big now mind but um yeah. sort of no nonsense in those like big heavy cotton jerseys yeah. that, that, which were horrible when shorts a bit wet. tight shorts boots. cotton shorts and never really fit socks like minus elastications so yeah. kind of fall down to your ankles and um, that so this takes you this is at school and did you join yeah. the local club yes yeah, so and then when I was about 13 I think I still know good but I joined uh, Long Levens which yeah. was like our village the school was in so village next to mine a load of boys from school sort of started there and loads of boys from just sort of around like I played football with and stuff like that um, previously so it's all about just being around hanging around with your muckers messing around smashing a few tackles getting burger and chips Pretty much, yeah. It was it was pretty, uh, you know, grassroots and stuff, and it was good fun. It was just we managed to stay together till we were about seventeen, I think. Right. So it was, it was a good group. I know alongside all this that you were really keen on your studies and focusing on that. I mean, you're giggling there. Is this is this some sort of urban myth? Like Marrow's a great poet. I haven't heard any of his work, but um, yeah. no, I was I was just laughing. I probably more sort of academic now than I was when I was actually in school yeah. but like as in when I was at school a lot of my friends were very academic I was probably the least academic of them and then yeah. when I left I thought oh, I've missed a trick here I should have especially when I was applying to unis and stuff I was like I should have probably worked a little bit harder most young kids would go into an academy and start thinking about professional rugby you were thinking I could do that but I must do my university alongside it or at that stage, the academies hadn't come knocking. I was, at, I was at Gloucester Academy from when I was about 15. My sisters had all gone to university. All my friends were kind of planning on going to university. And if I'm honest, at that point, I was actually probably more focused on my rugby than I was my A-level. So I think my A-level, I got ABC in the end. I think my A-level suffered a fair bit. So I applied for university, got offers at Cardiff and Loughborough. I ended up flipping a coin and I landed on 
Cardiff. So I took it and then deferred it for the year. So I kind of not Did you genuinely up. flick a coin? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, but um I was out in South Africa when I got my results right. um, on, on the 18 store. It was kind of split because I was like, these are two good unis, obviously two fairly good sporting unis as well. So then you go to Cardiff and then you got to join a rugby club. I did take up a year at Gloucester. Um, yeah. So I did like a, a full senior year. So I think at that point I was kind of thinking that's what I wanted to do full time and then I think it was that year that I kind of changed my mind and I was, I was really glad that I had done the university application and then deferred it when I got to the end of that year it meant I had an option other than to sort of stay there so I yes. think my agent then he's from South Wales he he picked up a gig at Bridgend I said that'd be great because I could kind of earn some money on the side of university still play rugby at a decent level I've been playing for Cinderford previously so I suppose yeah. it's a comparable side you got to learn you know you're a well-spoken English kid yeah and was, you're in yeah. South Wales <laughs> at Bridgend playing against Ebba Vale that is as great a rugby education as anyone can ever you've got to look after yourself yeah my English accent got dialed down quite a bit um, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it and then I got picked up for pre-season the Ospreys I was meant to be studying as well like I, I was fully intending just to go yeah. to Cardiff and play a bit of rugby on the side and kind of flipped the balance of it I was just trying to find the time for uni really because I realised I'd accidentally kind of started playing I sort of you'd committed. accidentally started playing accident- top level yeah, rugby yeah, yeah, all of a sudden I was playing rugby full time and I was like how am I going to fit my studying around this yeah. Underhill isn't the only English powerhouse who's studied alongside playing for his country. Up next, Mara Toje tells Vernon Kay all about his time at uni. My first couple of years, I was anonymous. I was, I was only really playing for Saracens um, first two years. So you, you could pretty much still go under the radar. Maybe only a couple of my tutors or lecturers knew, but it wasn't wasn't a real massive thing. Um, but I did notice a big difference in my third year. When I started playing for England, I started to get a lot more looks, a lot more stares and a lot more people approaching me. Um, did a leaflet you know, end up on your desk saying, join the uh, <laughs> university rugby team? I did get a couple of <laughs> requests. Um, but yeah, it was it was actually okay. Um, SOAS is, is a great uni, but academics is their thing. Um, it's not really that into sports or mm. those kind of activities like that. So I was still... If I was, if I went to a uni like Loughborough or Leicester or, or Nottingham, I think it would have been a lot harder. But it was still, still fairly, fairly good. And is there a reason why you studied African politics? Is there a story behind that? Uh, yeah. So, so my degree was uh, was a politics degree, and um, you had the option of to direct your your course of study. My family are from Nigeria. I'm from Nigeria, so I've always had that that connection. Um, but also, I think if you look at the curriculum at most schools in, the, in this country, they give you a very narrow view of what Africa is about. If I look back at my schooling time, I think the only two times that Africa was even mentioned was either aid or the transatlantic slave trade. And I think that gives a very narrow picture of what what the continent is, is is truly about. Personally, for myself, as I knew that's where I originated from, I wanted to know more about the continent, um, know what's going on there, and to gain deeper understanding and knowledge f- for myself. And it ended up being a great fit. I bet your parents were proud, though, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, like my parents, when it when it came to education, they they did not play around at all. It was um, it was fairly firm and. If I if I didn't do my degree, I don't even know. My, my parents would be so embarrassed. <laughs> they they wouldn't. All he does is play rugby. <laughs> they would be He's so got embarrassed. an educated boy. <laughs> they would be so embarrassed. They they they'll be like, "What am I going to tell my friends?" <laughs> <laughs> he just runs around the field for a living. That's all he does. So um, now that I've got that, the I, I, I can do what I want. 
Johnny May has been instrumental to England's try-scoring success and even picked up his 50th cap out in Japan. Vernon sat down with him back in 2018 to talk about the thing we all know him best for, his speed. Yeah, I was always nippy as a mini rugby player and um, was one of the faster ones then. But then going through my teenage years and stuff, I I was a big late developer. So um, a lot of boys overtook me, got a bit bigger, got faster. But then like late teens, I made a big comeback, you see. I grew tall and got my foot speed back from when I was from when I was younger but I was a bit taller now so um, I started catching people up and overtaking them again and do you work on your speed is that something that you have do you have do you speed training in the off season no yeah definitely it's something that is my strength and I want to probably invest as much time in that as anything because that's what can set me apart really so that's a huge focus of mine um every week really making sure I'm I'm warming up well and, and looking after my body doing those little things here and there that can keep on top of your speed training and stuff but my speed is 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 my thing that I want to get better at obviously I want to build a good all-round game around that but I will invest most of my time in in my strength um, because I think especially at international level you need to have something that your is your identity and something that you can fall back on and that is the reason why you're there now when, when you're on the field Johnny do you realize that when you get the ball the fans in the stadium take a gasp of air in preparation to see what you're going to do with the ball um, do you get a sense of that do you feel not, that n- no not really I think um, because let me tell you when you get the ball it's kind of go on Johnny you must hear it because everyone knows your top line everyone knows yeah. that Johnny's got the ball Johnny's going to just leg it and go so no when you're in the game you really are it might sound cliche or whatever but you really are so engrossed in what you're doing and, and so focused on, on the job you're doing or the play that you're playing you know there's noise there and it's, it is just a constant a constant noise throughout and obviously you do notice in, in your down periods when the fans are getting up for it and, mm. and and really getting behind you and that does really inspire you and it's, it's awesome playing at Twickenham but in the moment there's enough going on right in front of you and in the play that you, all of that noise you know it's there but it's it's just it's just it really is background noise. Now when you get the ball obviously you've got to figure out where you're going to go do you have great peripheral vision? Do you work on that? Do you, is there any technique or any, any, any scientific thing that you can work on that enables you to see the whole broad spectrum of the field when you've got it? Yeah, no, constantly. We're working on, you, you want to see as, as, as much as you can, don't you? Because that's yeah. information that can help you make the best decision as to where to go, to pass, to kick. So all of our training, you're always exposed to trying to look, see the picture in front. If you make a decision, if the situation changes, then you need to change your decision. So that's all the training. That is rugby, isn't it? Um, but maybe just a little thing we've brought into this camp is we have our eye gym training. Right. So that's a, a computer program that a lady from South Africa has developed called Cheryl. And we sit on the computers and it's very much reacting quickly to, to different objects on screens and also things like clicking arrows that represent what is on the screen. So like um, reaction training on the computer with different shapes, colors and things like that. So um, we've been working with that a bit. That can definitely sharpen your eyes. And like I said, your eyes are... are or everything in the game rugby because mm. that's what gives you the information to make your decision. You've got to stay away from the big ones. Yes. Or look <laughs> look for them and try and run around them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, th- there's a nice little story uh, that you used to play football with Ed Sheeran in the back garden. Is that true? Or Jesus, is that just a Wicca- this, this Wikipedia fan? This story out every time. No, yeah. so basically, to go back to it, my mum is in a group of friends which includes Ed Sheeran's mum. Right, okay. So... For instance, me and Ed were both ushers to one of our family friends' wedding. Right. So I do know him, but don't know, know, know him kind of thing. So if we were like seven or eight and all the friends would get together, we'd probably be playing football in the garden, but he'd probably be more of an inside on the guitar. But because my mum 
plays the guitar. He was very classically trained cello. Well, I think like cello and and things like that. But he saw my mum playing the guitar, and she called like he was very interested in it. And she taught him his first few chords, and then off he went. And then, lo and behold, yeah. This is Jamie George, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. We all know how special it is to be part of a rugby family, but what about when your teammates are actually your family? The Vunapola brothers epitomise the term impact players, but what impact have they had on each other? Let's hear from Billy, followed by older brother Mako. My first ever uh, game of, of rugby, I, I was rubbish. But to be fair, it was touch rugby, and I didn't really understand the rules, and these kids were just running in circles around me. Um, and this is where my brother comes in a lot, because, oh, if he can do it, I'm sure I can. And then I just followed him. And it's literally been like that for the whole of our upbringing. Um, with England under 18s, he did it first. And I'm like, if he can do it, I can do it. So I've tried my best. Were you, were you always uh, pretty much on the same team? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Can you imagine, can you imagine being the opposition? It's always been fun. Who are we up against around. today? Oh, it's them two lads, the, the funny Paulers. <laughs> what? Nah, I forgot my kit. I'm not playing, sir. <laughs> no, it wasn't always like that because we used to be the, the, the fat kids that used to walk around all the time. So dad was so embarrassed that he used to make us run all the time. Is there any competition between you and Mako? No. None um, whatsoever? None. Um, unless we're playing video games. Right. He's unbelievable on whatever game there is. He loves it. Um, but for some reason, I play him and I always have an edge over him. I think he's more because I just talk rubbish and it gets to his head. Um, I'm always talking. I'm always like cheering and laughing and <laughs> and uh, making him know that I'm there. Because he gets very intense. And right. I'm like, mate, it's a game. <laughs> Take it easy. Like, no, it's not. It's not a game. That's hilarious that you get really competitive off the rugby field. Yeah. I think for me, it just doesn't feel the same if uh, I've never really said it, but it doesn't feel the same if he's not playing or um, I'm out there on my own. But I've still got obviously other teammates, but um, if he's not playing due to injury, then you obviously feel for him. And uh, if he is playing, then I know what you can add to our team, but also just kind of, like you said, it's what we've grown up knowing, so... Uh, we can kind of push each other or if he needs help then at least I'm there alongside him and not sat on the stands watching him so now it's, I kind of take it for granted as well not just for playing for England but also for Saris um, we've been doing it quite a while now so no, even though my face doesn't show I do enjoy it and if he's not playing then it doesn't hamper me but I do think about it How often do you get to go back home? What's the first thing you do? We go back every summer now so we get home, and usually what happens is everyone turns up to the airport, whoever's back home. So everyone turns up, and it's 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 amazing because you feel special makes you feel special. Are you guys hometown heroes? Yeah, but my grandma doesn't like to 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 tell everyone that we're there. Right. So when we get home, that happens, and when we get to grandma's house, we usually have a massive feed. Like it's always a massive feed, um, and prayers and and things like that. And it's always nice to see my grandma happy. We'll go to a market, and she'll be like, "Oh, get that, get that, get that." Oh, all right, okay. All right, but I go there once a year, so you know I just try it's and nice spoil to treat it. The, yeah, everyone in here. What, what's your what's the favorite dish that your grandma makes? Uh, she she just loves suckling pigs. Really, like, that's our thing. Like when whenever we go home, without fail, on average we eat three when we're back home, whether we're there for four days or wow three weeks. Wow, she just gets excited, and I guess I get. How, that how did she cook that? She doesn't cook it. Well, how is it prepared? Spit uh, rolls. Yeah, outside in the back garden. No, we're talking. <laughs> And, and with the crackling and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, love that. Everything. What, what accompaniments come with suckling pig? Yam. Yam. Cassava, plantain, 
everything, um, which is probably why we're not very skinny back home because they think <laughs> starchy carbs is good was, for you. I was brought up in the wrong place. <laughs> Do you know? Were you always a big guy? Fat, like, and I blame my granddad for that actually because <laughs> I remember that he even dropped me off to school with a steak and kidney pie for lunch, and I was like four years old. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, well, yeah, there is when you have it every day. And, you, <laughs> and you're first weighing at 15, you're 137 kilos. Good grief. And it isn't just Billy and Mako who come from famous rugby families. England's centre, Manu Tuolangi, is also from renowned rugby stock. Here he is talking with Vernon earlier on this year. Do you think your older brothers set an, a good example for you in the way that they played rugby? And they kind of paved the way yeah, yeah. Having all my brothers like well known, especially in Leicester, was, I looked at, at it as a, as a challenge because whenever they hear your name, they're like, oh, he, he should be good. And for me, was, I, I saw that as a right, I'll try and. Well, it's the family <laughs> reputation. So, yeah, so I, I always looked at that as a positive. When you were in sixth form, you were picked by the Leicester Tigers Academy. What was the first thing that a family member said to you once you were picked for the Leicester Academy? It wasn't really a big thing. Really? Uh, not not for anyone, but it was big for me. Yeah. But I guess it's good because, you know, that's only the start. You know, now the hard work starts of trying to stay in, in, in the academy and try and, and get in the team. And how was the how was the reaction from your older brothers when that happened? Did they, did they say, look, listen, you've obviously got talent. But talent is nothing if you don't put in the hard work. Yeah. Because always. obviously they're already up and running in their professional careers. Yeah, it was always the, that um, hard work is the number one thing if you want to make it in, um, in, in the Tigers. Man. Well, that's just life, really. Yeah, isn't it? it is. Everyone exactly. knows that. So you made your England debut against Wales at Twickenham in 2011. Johnny Wilkinson set you up for your first international try. How was that? Unbelievable. I still remember having my interview on the Thursday of that game. And uh, they asked, like, obviously the first cap, and I couldn't believe that Johnny was playing 10. I remember watching the 2003 with my dad and brother at 3 in the morning. We just sat in front of the TV and watched Johnny. He was the only one, really, that we, his name, that we knew, Johnny. Really? Um, and then come here and, and get an opportunity to play with him is, is, is something special. Yeah. It's not just Manu with cherished memories of his debut. Up next, Mako shares his, followed by England playmaker George Ford's reflections on what it means to wear the rose. Uh, I was on the bench. I was kind of didn't want to get too emotional, but when I was singing the anthem, it was more kind of the journey. Kind of think back of the journey, and unfortunately, my grandfather was the one with the vision for us to come out here and. Uh, and play play for England, try and get the opportunity to play for England. But he passed away before I'd managed to play any gauge group. So it was tough. And probably that was probably the, o- the only time I ever came close to crying was singing the anthem and thinking about his, his dream. And no, but for me, it was just thinking about the journey that I kind of, our family's been through and to finally have the opportunity to, to play for England was a dream come true. It's like no other, really, because... Um... As, as much as you, you dream about doing it or think about doing it growing up and then you actually get in a stage where you can do it, like it's it's nothing compared to actually officially being in an England yeah. England squad or uh, getting on the pitch for the first time in an England shirt. It's just so surreal. It's hard to explain, I, I think, a little bit. Um, 
because, like I said, you dream about it, you think about it, but you never really experience what it's like until it actually happens mm. to you. So um, it's all, uh, it's a bit of a cliche thing, but when, when I decided to play rugby union at 16, you want to do as well as you can in the game. Mm. And obviously one of the main, one of the best things is playing for your country, England, and to actually have the opportunity to do that was, never experienced a feeling like that before. Let's zip through the other 49 tests. I was going to ask you for your favourite moment in England shirt, but I think it's probably relatively obvious, that 50th cap and stuff. Can you talk us through the pride for you and your family, you know, selected to captain your country? Yeah, well, I probably knew 50 was around the corner uh, if I was going to get selected in that game. So that's a, that's a special enough moment as it is. I was never expecting to be captain for the, for the game, so that was, again, made it even more special. Yeah, again, it was a bit like your, fir- your first cap, really. Like, you never... You never really think it's going to happen until it happens. Even even when you're up around like 48, 49 caps, like you just think like you never take playing for England for granted. Anything could happen until it actually happens. You never want to you yeah. never want to think about it. And then obviously the week came and it was Japan at home. And Eddie said, I think midweek, oh, would you mind captain the team? And it was like, yeah, obviously it'd be such an honour to captain the team as well. And, and what a challenge it'd be for me to to do that at home at Twickenham. And thankfully, we got a good win in the end, didn't we? So um, I think for for me and my family, like I said, to, to play for your country once is unbelievable. 50 times, you never even dream of making 50 times. So um, I'm just glad we got a good result and one on the day and we can have some happy memories of that. George's partnership with Owen Farrell has been key to England's success and Vernon was lucky enough to sit down and talk leadership with England's captain during this year's Six Nations. What was it like when you were told that you were going to be captain? Uh, Are you a sentimental person? Not too much. Obviously, the co-captaincy was the first a, a conversation. A conversation that we had, yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I, I remember that. Uh, but you kind of do, you do a, a little bit before. You know, there were times where Dylan was injured. I think in the last Six Nations, and I was vice captain and captain the France game. I think, mm. and then obviously the the summer tour as well, and then obviously came back and was into the core captaincy, so there's, there's been a few stages with it. Does that add more pressure onto your own game, being captain? I think in a, in a good way, yeah. I think because a massive part of leadership is, is performing, making sure you get your own stuff right. So <laughs> I think if you look at it that way, it's, uh, that's a, a brilliant part of it, that you have to make sure that you turn up and you do your, and you do your job, uh, first and foremost, which can only be a good thing, I think. A few people have said that you're quite an inspiration at halftime when it comes to speeches. That you're not shy of stepping up—is that true? Who's telling you that? There's a, there's a couple. That, that, there's a couple that have said it. That you know, you, you give a rousing speech. I no, guess. I, no. I think one of the good things is that people, if you're thinking something, you say it. No one's too worried about whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, or whether it's taken well or not. It's we lay it out there a lot. We we get it all on the table, and you know, if that if that's something that people use, then brilliant. And if it's not, then we'll find another way, and that'll be good. What one thing has Eddie brought to the team that he keeps repeating on a loop? You know, not just one thing like, because we found that he's, he's always dropping little nuggets, golden pieces of information. But what's his one consistent thing that he wants you all to do as a team? The thing there's now is, is how together we are, how much we work hard at enjoying being here. Uh, it doesn't just happen. So whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, we've got to make sure that we work hard at, at being as close as we possibly can as a group. Hi, I'm Willie Hines, England Scrum Half, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to show the podcast some love by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. 
We also like to have a bit of fun with our guests, so here's how England flanker Tom Curry got on when Vernon shot him some quick-fire questions. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Skier. Are you, oh, really? I'm not a very good skier, but it looks cool going to the mountains and just... It always looks romantic. Doing flips, it's pretty cool. Uh, what's your musical guilty pleasure? Pitbull. <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> Cheesy dance bar, eh? Is that what you are? Nah. When was I the last time you went to a nightclub? Four weeks ago. Really? I can't remember. I actually can't. See, I, I was, that's quite current. That's like, it's not like it's six months ago. No, it's, it's probably not four weeks. I'm just saying that for the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to seem like a loser. <laughs> You know we're going to keep that in. <laughs> nice one. Uh, Favourite joke? What do you call an Irishman that bounces off walls? Go on. Rick O'Shea. <laughs> it's actually a good... Oh. I got it from Sam James at Sale, so credit him. Uh, who would play you in a movie? Probably my brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably... Yeah, good idea. So family and animals are safe. Which rugby memento would you save from a fire? I'm probably going to be a bit boring, just go for first shirt. Have you framed it yet? Yes, it's framed. Oh, thank goodness for that. There's a few of the lads don't frame them. Yeah, put them in a bag. I wouldn't put it in a bag. No, I've got three, sale, home and away, and my younger one in the middle. Good man. What's the last gift you bought someone or gave someone? Got, so we're talking Christmas. So obviously I, I work with my brother in getting gifts. What did we get shot? Hang on, wait, sister wait, wait. We don't right, get each I, other one. No, <laughs> I'm not bothered about that. Right, because you're a twin, you don't say, here you go, Auntie Brenda. This is a gift from us. Yeah, this is what I mean about the, the money saving. This is when it comes in at the perfect time. <laughs> absolute tight ass. <laughs> so just because twins come from one egg, right? Just because you're one egg don't mean you buy one gift. It does. But it, it does. No way. <laughs> no one's complaining, so we'll keep it that way. That's brilliant. Lucky. <laughs> hey, you're so lucky. Bet you save a fortune. Are you in any WhatsApp groups? Yes, a few. What's your favourite one? Probably the one with the lads. It's good. Is it, is it labelled, the lads group? Because my lads group is called is it, The Festival Dads. No, it's probably a bit more tasty than that. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Definitely flying. Yeah, that's a good one. Which famous person would you be completely starstruck by if you ever met them in real life? I'd usually say Johnny Wilkinson, but I, I've oh seen him gosh. a couple of times. That boy has got the most chiselled frame I've ever seen on a human being. It's a joke. He's like marble. He's like granite. <laughs> what advice would you give your 12-year-old self? We're only going back eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, God knows. That's probably... Keep going, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably just carry on enjoying it because I think that was, that was the biggest thing that probably, you know, when everything gets a bit intense, just the enjoyment factor that's, you know, that keeps pushing you forward. On a podcast, we also like to shine a light on what players get up to away from the field as well. So up next, here's some of Paul Bunker's chat with one of the most dynamic props in the business, England's Kyle Sinclair. Life away from rugby then. You got your dog, your French bulldog? Yeah. What's his name? Brody. Brody. Yeah. How old is he? He is four. Okay, so yeah. he's kind of well-trained. Yeah, you know, very well-trained. I mean, he's basically, like you say, just son and he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing away from that as well? Are you into gaming? Are you into music? Do you like to go to the movies? So, like, I've set up my own property company. I just bought another house that I'm quite passionate about. Mm. Um, that side of stuff like doing up houses and renting is, them out to... um, is that physically on the tools or is it no 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 I can't I can't be doing that I can't <laughs> be doing that but I've, I've got a, I've got a good mate who's a builder and like literally organises everything for Brilliant. me which is fortunate I'm very fortunate um, what about other sports do you watch oh I love sport? it I love I love it I love sport I love it so Wimbledon just went mm. cricket 
boxing, NBA, NFL, football, obviously. So I love sport, man. Like, yeah. I love it. Like literally, I'm just like home, Sky Sports News, sweet, watching all like the, the documentary stuff. And it's weird, like I'm just trying to learn off different athletes, you know? Yeah. It's very interesting. Like, you can, I suppose you can always learn from their discipline, their mindset, yeah. their approach. Yeah. And those sort of things, yeah, particularly the boxers, are so amazingly disciplined, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, well, the good can, ones, that's yeah, the you thing. Can take that into your own, yeah. the way you perform and stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. Well. And I just, I, just, I, I just love it, man. I just love sport in general. This country's going for an amazing turn of sport. Yeah. The moment you think women's football. Yeah, we, exactly. The women's football was on. I couldn't believe it. We lost. It's amazing, like, how much that event. Personally, I've never really watched women's um football my cousin is an unbelievable footballer she's just signed for crystal palace right i started to kind of watch a little bit over the past few years but i'd never really watch it and like i was glued to it i couldn't i was like who have we got today who have we got okay and then like we were just like it was crazy when we beat scotland we played argentina mm. didn't we and we were going well it just shows though it just shows like in big Big games, big moments, you know, the differences are so small. And, like, mm. we ran USA close, and then they kind of won that final pretty easy. So, and you just try and learn from them, you know. It's hard yeah. after to, to try and pick yourself up after you've lost a massive semi-final. And it just, yeah, it's just, you're really, really happy for them. But at the same time, you're like, I'm ready. Like, I want to kind of have a crack at this, you yeah. know. And, and how it can just bring everyone together. Sport's such a powerful tool, you know. Mm. Like, it's such a powerful tool. And, like, if kids just had that tool like if they just had the opportunity to kind of play sport day in and day out like I, I honestly believe you know we obviously see all the stuff with crime and knife crime and gang mm. culture if they just had something to do and or like the the pitch they played like wanted to play football on they could actually there was a goal there or there were nets in the goal you know or mm. just little things like that it would drop significantly you know like you just, they just need a, people just need an opportunity my biggest thing is just given not just be one place it's like okay two in what's the area like okay they need this here you know mm. and then you find out that this person's really good footballer he's actually a good rugby player or good at athletics you know and it's like okay how can we give him an opportunity to better himself and better his life like I was lucky you know I was lucky that Colin spotted me playing rugby and then I got scouted played for Harlequins then I got to played for Surrey then I ended up playing for England under 16s and remember the England under 16 selectors at the time were all from private schools mm. so then a private school we're like what school does he go to oh we want to give let, bring him to our school kind of thing mm. and obviously I, I wasn't I wasn't stupid so my grades were decent so that that helped mm. and then once I knew I could go to a, a, such a great school like Epsom College and that that then spurred me on with my schoolwork. I was on it because I knew I had to get a certain grades to get there mm. and then I got a scholarship to go to Epsom College for two years and it kind of changed my life you've got to keep the main thing the main thing which is rugby and I just want to just keep doing well and whatever capacity that is like for Quince or for England like you know me bunks like if they need me to run out the water I'll be running out the water as fast <laughs> as I can you know what I mean like I've just I just I just love it mate that's it yeah. I just love I love being around the sport and like, I just want to give other people the opportunity to find out what they love And that's all we've got time for on this podcast special. Remember, if you want to listen back to any of those episodes, you can do in full. Just search the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line wherever you listen. I hope you agree. We've had some amazing guests during this series, so huge thanks to all of them for being part of it. We hope we've brought you closer to the players in camp during what's been an inspiring England campaign. 
Remember, we're still running our competition to win a signed England shirt as well. To enter, just leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts before Sunday the 10th of November. So, until we're back for Series 5 ahead of the Six Nations, from me and the team, a massive thank you for listening and we'll catch you in the new year.